Welcome to the Smug Film Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Clark. With me today is John D'Amico. Hey. And Jenna Ipcar. Yo. Today we are basically ending mailbag. We're replacing it with voicemails. You know, you can call in our special voicemail number, leave us a voicemail and we'll play it on the show. But we're not going to be doing the actual, you know, us reading mail thing. We're closing up the mailbag, but we still have some questions left that we haven't answered. So we're going to be answering those questions today. We got about six in total. So this is going to be all mailbag edition, all mailbag all the time. And uh, the voicemail number for you to call, if you want to leave us some questions, comments, we'll play them on the show in the future. The number is 718-395-9711. Call that number 24-7. It'll go straight to voicemail. Nobody's going to pick up and be like, hello, who's this? Why are you calling me? You just leave a question or comment and we'll play it on the show. Our first question from the remaining mailbag questions is from Crystal. And she asks, what's your favorite archetype of male lead? I can answer this real quick. (laughs) Yeah? You have a favorite? Yeah, there's like three go-to favorites. And uh, it's basically there's the the damaged but strong moral compass or sense of direction. That's, All right, that's well, my well, slow down, slow down. <laughs> she has this written down. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I did write it down because I, this is uh, like the my go to is like the typical and maybe like the cliche of what women are interested in. This is what I get for sending you some of these questions ahead of time. Oh yeah, no. I All right, so about it. say that again. What 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 what's going on? <laughs> the the guy who's damaged, but he still has a strong moral compass uh-huh. or like uh, at least a strong sense of like uh, purpose. So who's your go to for that one? I have Paul Bettany in Gangster Number One. That he's a that's a great character. You brought him up before. Yeah, you like that movie, right? Yeah, I love that movie, and I love him in that movie. He's like this screwed up guy. He doesn't have a name actually. They call his, he's billed as gangster. He's a screwed up dude that just like he wants power and he's gonna get to the top, but he like can't realize that part of doing that is like being friendly. Yeah. So, or, or somebody like um, uh, Alain Delon and Les Samurai. Yeah, that's a mm. that's a good one. Jeff Costello. Um, or HUD sounds a little like HUD. <laughs> Just I for saying HUD. it like that. <laughs> uh, accepted. And or Peter O'Toole in uh, Lawrence of Arabia. That guy, he's got problems eventually. What about yeah, uh, rest in peace, Omar Sharif? By the way, right, yeah, yeah, breaking news. Yeah, which won't be when this airs. No, <laughs> it'd be like, didn't he die gang, a couple man. days ago? The Lawrence gang is down for the count now. Yeah, uh, and then I, uh, the other people I have listed there is like Killian Murphy and Marlon Brando and most things. <laughs> <laughs> what about like Rocky? Does he fall into the category? Well, having still not seen it yet, but from what Shut I up. know, it seemed does seem like he would. You Shut gotta up. see Rocky. They're all on Netflix now. I know. I have no excuse. Go home. Than... We'll wait. <laughs> we can let's pause it. Yeah, let's pick up after. Yeah, man. How how great would that be? Podcast magic, where we just you know play a little doot to do, and then all of a sudden you'll have seen it. You know. Yeah, like the, it's the uh, magic of editing. What's the the, the waiting music in uh, Monty Python? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we could do like a, we need like technical difficulties music. <laughs> That's got to be somewhere. I should be able to Google that and find technical difficulties music. Not it's the Monty Python one. It's perfect. Yeah. Not the Racer X song to uh, brag about my obscure metal knowledge. Not the Racer X song technical difficulties, but the music that would play where they like put up the card and it's like, uh oh, we fucked up when you're watching TV, which did that ever like really happen? I only remember it from like the Simpsons. I mean, it's an old 
TV sitcom joke for a long yeah. time. It's like I a don't trope. know that it ever actually really. You'd think at a certain point in the early days something would go wrong, but yeah, I don't know. I want to find footage of an did you actual see, technical difficulty. Did you ever see the uh, Mitchell and Webb skits about like the first days of TV? No. Yes. They are the funniest fucking thing. Yes. They do like the the first broadcast of the BBC, <laughs> and it's all like like for the first one. They're all standing in profile for the whole time because, like, <laughs> the network told them that that looks better. Mm. And there's all these, like, little things. They're really good. That's funny. I gotta check that out. A lot of technical difficulty type jokes in those. If someone can find me who's listening to this podcast, an example of an actual technical difficulty where they have to cut to a technical difficulty card, I will be forever grateful. <laughs> So hopefully somebody will will find that or I'll just Google it and find it immediately and it won't be an actual challenge. But it seems like a challenge, right? Yeah. Seems difficult. Make make the fans work for it. Yeah. (laughs) Do my work. Do my Googling. I'm trying to outsource my Googling to the fans. Anything that I want to know, I just want to put on them. Going to the Guggenheim? Going to the Guggenheim. Yeah, man. I'm still pulling for that one and it's just not. (laughs) Yeah, that's not taking off, but it should. Yeah. Jenna, what is your Brando role of choice? For like, for my favorite or for his best? You're killing me. Just, just, I know. Just give me something here. I just watched Last Tango in Paris recently, and he has some great monologues. That's a great movie. Yeah, it is. That was movie. really hard for him, that film. I had they a put him through hell, dude. Mixed yeah. emotions on that movie, but I, I think Apocalypse Now is, is my favorite, like, Brando monologues, except when Brando was younger and hot. That's also my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> did you know he wanted them to write his lines on her ass in yeah. that movie? <laughs> well, he did that in everything. I mean, he's... He was uh, big he cue cards guy. Yeah, if you ever see the um, pictures from The Godfather, you can see the cue cards um, pinned to Duvall in all their scenes. And yeah. Apocalypse Now, he didn't know any of it. That's why he's reading out of the book for half of it, because he really is just reading He, which he apparently just recorded like a, those tapes for hours and then showed yeah, up it's on, on set. The, uh, <laughs> I think it's on one of the, the old DVDs. They had like the audio for one of them. For, oh, really? Yeah, I'm sure it's perfect. I think so. I which, might have just sure made that perfect. up. I'm fine with. like If you're using cue cards and I'm into the performance, great. Well, like, that was why he did it. You. It was very intentional. It was, uh, it was a spontaneity thing. Right. But it's weird when you think of his training because it's all theater training. I don't, I don't know how he wound up doing that, but whatever it was, it worked. He probably got bored. You know, he's probably like, fuck, let's make this more challenging. I don't know. That makes it less challenging, I think. Really? Because you have to be in the moment and come up with like great dialogue. I guess, yeah. That's like, it's like improv training. It's great. All right, so... All right, my next type of guy. <laughs> wait a second. Hold on. Wait, say the title of the first one again. Okay, so the first one was Damaged but Strong Moral <laughs> Compass or Sense of Purpose. All right. The second one is The Reluctant but Charming Hero. So, a.k.a. Harrison Ford. Or like uh, Robert Redford in Three Days of the Condor, Dustin Hoffman in Marathon Man. They like can't someone- do this one anymore. This one, they get so fucking coy with it now. Well, it's always Jay Baruchel now. Or Chris Pratt. That used to be like the best one, and they completely destroyed this type. It's either a super hot guy or a super geeky guy. I blame right. Chris Pratt. I blame Chris Pratt entirely for destroying this type of hero. Yeah, or or you can go for like Al Pacino and Serpico or something. You know, like someone who is thrust into yeah. it. Or even Al Pacino in um, Tropic Thunder. <laughs> he didn't want to be there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the other one, my final one, is just attractive and charming, which is reserved for Paul Newman and and Paul Rudd. All right. <laughs> okay. So that's the Paul category. That's the Paul category. Just Pauls. You can throw Bettany in there. What about too? Giamatti? Yeah, Paul Little Paul Giamatti. Giamatti. 
He's in there. <laughs> All right. So an archetype of male lead that I like. I mean, I tend to like the cheesy 80s, 90s action stuff more than most. Like that's a that's an archetype that I like. Like I like that Steven Seagal just randomly on the police force knows all sorts of weird like acupuncture shit and, <laughs> and speaks seven languages yeah exactly like i like that people like a lot of people roll their eyes at that but i just like that as a protagonist like that he's just like this weird dork that has these like other interests but is like a cool guy i never thought about how twin peaksy seagal's characters usually are <laughs> You right, know, like if you move just a different actor in there. Oh yeah. It's very like 80s Lynch. Oh yeah. That's that's a great point. That's amazing actually. I always go for the um grizzled old guy who used to be a criminal and is now halfway going straight. Mitchum? Yeah. Mitchum <laughs> in the 70s. Yeah. Clint Eastwood. Um not so much Eastwood. Eastwood really doesn't do that that much. He he he's got a different vibe. I'm thinking Mitchum or like Robert Shaw in Jaws. You know, any of those those sort of, or like Lawrence Tierney in anything, but especially Reservoir Dogs. I, I, I always really, and like Keitel does it sometimes. Yeah. Did you ever see Harry Brown, by the way? No, I wanted to. I'm not you, a huge Michael Caine fan, which is surprising considering. I'm not a big fan of his either. I think he was really, really good in it. And he does that. He's, he's an older gentleman who, uh, you know, has to start doing his old shit again that nobody I, yeah. knows about. I just like the idea of like, Somebody who you know has like seen and done terrible things. Yeah. Who's kind of wedged into like something as undignified as being an old person now. Well, kind of like that movie, The Hit. Yeah. That's a good example. The best one is still um, Friends of Eddie Coyle because it's yeah. the best anything. But just that, like, you, actually, you even see it in Trailer Park Boys sometimes <laughs> with uh, Ricky's dad. Like, I, I like the, I, I just think old, old people who used to be very like virile are kind of fascinating characters. Like Gran Gene, Torino, maybe? Gene Hackman can do that. Yes, big Hackman. Hackman can do it a lot. Gran Torino is probably the closest Eastwood comes to it, but I don't know. It's it's. I think it's less depressing with Eastwood, usually. Yeah. I, I, I like yeah, it. He's yeah. more uplifting in the end. Yeah, when right. it's like a little rawer than that. Hackman's great at it. Even in, in Unforgiven, Hackman does it and does it so fucking well. You see it a lot in Westerns, actually. But yeah, I'm, 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 a, I'm a mark for that one. That one always works on me. It's why I ended up trying to watch every movie Mitchum made in the 70s because he was just doing that all over the place. And I, I usually found it captivating. One that really works for me is uh, 36 Chambers of Shaolin. I like those kind of stories where like it's a kid who's kind of like a dick and then he learns some like discipline really, really well. And like I, I always love like movies where it's like somebody training over the course of a film and it's That's just why, about 36 that. chambers is brilliant because it's just a 90 minute training montage yeah it's so like good. it's the greatest structure anybody ever came up for one yeah. of those i think yeah that's that's probably number one shaw brothers for me i would go uh master the flying guillotine over it but mm -hmm. it's probably a close second oh and yeah. five deadly venoms is up there mm -hmm. what's the one where there's the giant ninja and then they hit it and it explodes and turns into five ninjas <laughs> God, um, what is that? And then they're fighting in like a nether zone where it's just total blackness and there's like a, a door. It's a movie I need to see. I don't think it's oh a movie my God. I have well, seen. It's, I, it's like it's Shaw Brothers in like the 80s. But it's hard to date all this stuff because it all looks 20 years older than it is. <laughs> uh, I got to look it up. If you find it, I want to watch that movie. We'll, we'll return to this. Well, do you have any others written down for that? 
I mean, uh, those those are the main ones. That's like I always end up liking the. Typically, it's the the damage guys like Frank, like Fastbender, where he's like, you know, he goes out in the world, and but when you take that mask off, he can't do anything. Does he take stuff. the mask off in the film? Wait a yeah. second, is that a spoiler? No, right? Uh, it's a spoiler. Is it? I mean, uh, the movie's been out for over. I a guess year, most so. people would assume he takes a mask off at some point, right? I thought like you kind of to- know what Fastbender's face looks like already, anyway. Yeah. All right. So next question is also from Crystal, and she asks. Are sex scenes necessary or unnecessary in movies? So this is just the one where it's like, it, this is an impossible question to ask just because like it, there's, it depends. Yeah, it's a case <laughs> by case basis. But there are so many, I have to say that a big pet peeve of mine is that there are so many movies in like the late 70s, 80s and 90s and even today. And I hate when it's just like a woman who takes her shirt off for like like five seconds and then they move on. Like, it's just like... Duel to the Death. It was called Duel to the Death. I gotta watch that 1982. one. 1982. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, John D'Amico. Go on, Jenna. <laughs> no, I just like, I hate when it's like a scene of like some woman getting ready or she's changing a shirt or she's getting dressed and she takes her shirt off and she's wearing no bra and it's just like a tit shot and that's the whole point. Well, it's just oh, like, yeah, and it always lingers for a while and there's always some like stupid dialogue. Yeah, and there's no reason. It's just for to have her, her tits out so that like, and it feels like this type of thing of like, hey guys... You paying attention? Yeah. Like this is for you. Doesn't Alien do that sort of with the? But she doesn't get fully naked, right? Yeah, and that well, was Alien. Lame. Also, Alien. I mean, the reason they did that in Alien was because so much of Alien is about the vulnerability of like what's around you, you now, like exoskeleton kind of vulnerability. Right. So she got naked in Alien because it was um, a deeply strong contrast to the Alien, which like can't be naked because it's always got that thing around it. Mm-hmm. Ridley Scott actually fought to have when they all came out of the cryo beds at the beginning of Alien for them all to be naked because he thought it was stupid that they wouldn't be. Right, yeah. And they wouldn't let him. Hmm. As long as there's a reason for it. Because that's the thing is there's plenty of movies that have nudity or sex scenes that I think are awesome. Here's the thing though. Nudity and sex scenes I don't think are quite the same thing. And I think I would almost say we need more sex scenes in most movies because it's stupid the lengths people will go sometimes to not have one. Well, yeah, let's focus on sex scenes specifically because that was what the question was. Well, I hate like the sex scene in Top Gun and the sex scene <laughs> in um, Altered States. They're just useless. Like, and the point is just to show like a, some girl's tits for five seconds and you don't le- learn anything about the characters. You learn where the nipples look like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's it. And it's like a, this sort of like, hey, thanks for watching, guys. <laughs> like, that's it. It's like, it's just because like, hey, you didn't care about her before, but now you saw her tits. So uh, pay attention. Like, I, I hate it. It's so obnoxious. So, there are so many, though, that are like about sex and like nobody has sex in them. That's, and it's such yeah. a fucking lie. Mm. Like, um... To give an example, like Imitation Game was about a guy who was chemically castrated because he was gay. And then you never saw him even hold hands or kiss a man. Yeah, that mm. pissed me off. Like that. That was lame. That kind of shit, I think, is cowardice. Yeah. But then there's like, I, I hate um, rape scenes. <laughs> and, and not be like rape is terrible, but <laughs> there are like, you know, the rape scene in Clockwork Orange, but all of them. <laughs> Are, are great because they're terrifying right. and like you're watching it and you're like oh my god it really sets the scene it sets like how much you hate you know you hate alex like alex is almost charming 
until he's not. You know, yeah, you need something like person. that that strong as a contrast, right? And it's shown in such a shitty light. Whereas, like in Mad Max Two, there's that rape scene in like the beginning. That's all. That's just like here's some tits for you guys. All right, let's get back to the cars. I don't like, agree that that's what that one was like. I mean, oh, I agree I with your point one. in general. I think that a lot of that shit is very cavalier. But Mad Max Two. You spent the next 20 seconds of that movie just focusing on the gyro captain's like shattered face. That wasn't like a game in that movie. You know, it was, it was, I just watched it like a couple weeks ago. So I remember exactly the part you're talking about very well. And like, it was very harrowing the way they did it. It wasn't, See, I, thought I, it was I don't creepy. think it was lurid at all. I, 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 cause you, you, mm. they cut back to them and then you just sit and watch the fucking, um, you watch Bruce Spence's face just like shatter. And you, you, you know, you, it, it propels the um, fear of Lord Humongous and all of them. Well, that's why editing is so important, because without that, it would have been, you know, a very different scene. And sometimes simple things like that, just a person's reaction shot can yeah. change the tone of a scene like that dramatically. I mean, yeah, that meant, it might not have been necessary. And I think a lot of movies, especially action movies, lean on that too hard to give the villains a little extra... Uh-huh. A little extra oomph, which is, I think, a shitty thing to do. But if you're going to single one out, I think the Mad Max one is about as, no, as, because as they tastefully some, done as one of those could be. No, they pick someone with huge tits and then they linger on her tits. And then, you know, OK, yeah, it has a point. But it just it, it's I, it's just like there was no reason to show her that graphically. I really they don't agree. Shown- it's really not that graphic. It feels more graphic than it is. Like an example of what you're thinking of, I think, would be. Did you ever see um, Goodbye, Uncle Tom? disgusting Italian movie about slavery. No. Oh my God. This movie, I hate this movie as much as any. It's, I've it's never supposed even heard to of be, it. um, it's supposed to be all about how evil slavery was. And it's supposed to be like this big indictment of slavery, but really like it's incredibly, incredibly leering. And you can tell everything that it's claiming to hate. It's really getting a kick out of watching. Mm. So like there's this rape scene in that movie where this guy, this slave master like rapes his slave and what happens is you see them, you see him rip her uh, shirt off and then the camera just zooms in on her chest and goes to slow motion mm. for like 10 seconds while this music plays. And it's, it's horrible. It's, it's a horribly, I mean, exploitative doesn't even go far enough considering, you know, this was, it's supposed to be real things that happen to real people. It's, it's absolutely detestable, I think. Mad Max, I didn't get that vibe from it at all. I got, I got, um... I mean, it, it probably would be better off without it in it. But like, again, if you're going to single that out in an action movie, I think that one is pretty well. I don't think that was um, leering nah, in the I, same way. It rubbed me the wrong way. But then again, I'm also just sick of, uh, you know, the plot device of rape, of raping women. Yeah, I mean, with, like nameless so women who get raped. Yeah, it's just so she's boring. not nameless, though. I mean, they talk about her a lot after that. Yeah. They bring her back. They bring like the bodies back and, and you know, you. You pretty much the next 10 minutes are about the fallout of that. It seems like a couple seconds cut here and there and you might have been fine with it. Like the if there wasn't the focus on the chest, if it had been. Yeah, I mean, if a, yeah. like slightly trimmed, it might have been. You get it like, you know, Lawrence of Arabia that has a, a essentially a rape scene, which actually could have even been a slightly more graphic, except that, you know, it was the time you mean when he's in the prison. Have. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That probably they should have gone a little further with. But then again, I it, the fact that they didn't even and I don't even think there's nudity in that scene except for like his chest. Like that was still a terrifying scene and and well done. Like I just get I like there's no point of showing unless you're going to show the dude fully naked too. That's what Mad Max didn't do and that's what pissed me off and I and I I like zoomed into that. 
is that like if it's equal opportunity, you know, if like you're going to be oh, like there is male. I mean, you don't see any dicks in that movie, but there's male display all over that movie. Yeah, sure. They're all wearing assless chaps in that movie. Yeah, that's great. But <laughs> it's not like the men are, you know, like. But there's a guy in that scene having sex with that woman. They get ripped apart and then she gets raped and the guy just, you know, he gets to watch. You know, why didn't he get raped? As you said, everyone's wearing assless chaps. There's a whole like gay vibe. <laughs> Would you have thing. preferred it if they raped the man? No, it's just like, it, it, it's just. <laughs> they do in Mad Max 1. He, he, she's yeah. just saying he was asking for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I get what you're saying, but I, I think really like that. Well, you're just pissed that I pissed, picked Mad Max, but I'm not a fan of Mad Max and you are. That's the other thing. No, I don't. I'm not pissy piss pick Mad Max at all. I just think that it's not. And this is because I literally just watched it like two yeah. weeks ago. I don't think that's really how the scene went. And I know exactly what you're talking about. And I think it's really sleazy. And in a lot of movies that I otherwise like, like Saturday Night Fever, which I love. I mean, the big stain on that movie is that fucking rape scene that's in there for no reason and adds nothing and is just creepy and leering. But Mad Max, I, mean, I don't think that's what that was in any way. And a lot of it also is just looking at the rest of what's in those movies and what's in George Miller's stuff. I mean, he doesn't, that track record isn't really there. It's so 80s. That's the thing I hate about Mad Max, though, is like, it doesn't seem timeless to me. It just seems like. What does that have to do with this, though? But this this seemed very 80s exploitive, like. It was 1981. The 80s standards hadn't been laid down yet. This Well, but that came from the 70s, which, and that's like, you know, that's the other thing about all these sex scenes is like. When they come to unnecessary, necessary, I understand why there were all of these like, well, we're not going to talk about nudity, I guess. But like, I understand why there was all of this sort of like push suddenly for, you know, on screen sex or on screen nudity was obviously because, uh, you know, they, they changed the standards of, of what was uh, socially acceptable to be on screen. And, you know, Rated X came out and all this sort of stuff. So like it does make sense, you know, and it gets pushed into the, the 80s and the 90s and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger as it as it rolls along. How do you feel about um, Gaspar Noe's philosophy towards rape scenes, which was when he made the film Irreversible, he has, you know, the infamous, I think it's like nine minute long uncut rape scene. And when people gave him shit for it, he was like, if I were to have cut once, it would have been disrespectful to the actual scene. You know, like he, he felt like once you start doing cross cutting and et cetera, it becomes essentially a sex scene and not a rape scene. And he wanted to just show it in all of its horribleness, just unbroken master shot of it happening. And it's, you know, it's a very difficult scene to watch. Um, if I were to watch that movie again, I would probably have to fast forward through it just to get to, you know, the next scene. It's a, it's a brilliant movie. I think he handled it really well. But I'm just curious what you think about that aspect of like, you know, once you start editing a rape, it it takes the rape away from it. And it's interesting, too, that we're talking. The question was about sex scenes and we we started gravitating towards talking about rape scenes pretty quickly. Well, I think just because that's when it really becomes like necessary and unnecessary. That part of the question, it's like the first thing I think Mm -hmm. of is like just rape scenes mostly because there aren't really that many sex scenes in movies unless it's a movie that is about specifically sex and right. as, you, as john said and i agree there there could be more sex scenes in movies and like yeah we need more consensual sex in movies <laughs> yeah and less rape right but actually it's interesting i think that that uh, i kind of can't agree with that you mm. know that like if you're gonna if you're gonna show it like show the horror of it yeah. don't don't show the nudity of it don't show like 
you know, that because that's not interesting, you know, not that, you know, it's really that interesting. I could honestly live without most rape scenes, but you know, like, yeah, if you're going to show like the point of a rape scene, it has to be the horror and only the horror of it because mm -hmm. that's all it is. It's horrifying. You know, that's interesting. The Clockwork Orange ones that I think about it were unbroken masters from very far yeah, away. Yeah, I think too. that's I think that's where he he got that from that impulse. Right. Uh, and then the other thing I could think of was um, uh, in Ken, Ken Russell's The Devils. There's this whole scene called The Rape of Christ, which is like an orgy of like nuns where people are just naked and straight up. Uh, it's very it's very explicit like they're at least it's masturbating. like a caligula kind of thing yeah and it that is a scene where it's like i love ken russell and i actually really like his use of nudity for the most part um in, in all of his movies and sex there's a ton of i mean a ton of his movies that have it that you know wouldn't be the same without it i think he he really uh employs it perfectly but that rape of Christ scene, which is part of why the devils is so hard to find anyhow, is that it was like this sort of sacrilegious, mm. like super like uh, explicit scene really doesn't add anything to the movie. And most of the the versions of, of the devils that you'll find don't even have it in it mm. because it's also like 10 minutes long. And it's just like just like a <laughs> like a camera panning around an orgy like that's really about it. Have you seen Bad Lieutenant? No, um, there's a rape scene in that and it's cut in kind of like a giallo colored lights sex scene way. It's a, it's a, it's a rape by a couple of like dumbass fucking street kids raping a nun. And it's one of those scenes where like, it makes you cringe because it's cut very sex scene -y and like the colors and this, that, and the other, it just, it, it's making it into like a fantasy rather than like a cold gross reality, which most of the film takes place in like a very like stark grittiness, except for that scene. And I listened to the commentary and he mentioned something about the scene that I, I never really noticed, which is one of the, the rapists in it. Like when he's like thrusting away at her, he's thrusting like so stupidly. Like it's very <laughs> clear that like he's never had sex before and he doesn't really understand it. And when you're watching the movie, you, you know, your immediate reaction might be, oh, that's just like a badly staged sex scene. But once he pointed that out, the, that whole scene took on a completely different quality for me where like you get that he, the rapist, doesn't understand exactly what's going on and has all this like swirling like imagery going on in his head and all this like repressed like, you know, sexual whatever's because he's all hormonal and shit like it it takes on this quality where i'm like oh my god that that's actually a really really brilliant scene but on the surface i i hated it until i heard his his explanation of it and then i got really on board with it how do you feel about that scene in, in bad lieutenant it always pissed me off too but yeah i mean that's kind of interesting i don't know that it's a really like i don't know that it plays exactly it might not but it was probably a better way to get that yeah through. but yeah i mean now it kind of yeah, it's an interesting. I gotta take. like think about that. You yeah, know? yeah. I don't know. It just it really, as we said, it it really depends. Like, because I also think about blue is the warmest color, which I wrote a whole review on mm -hmm. Smug Film for, which um has sex scenes, but too many. <laughs> yeah, and, and too, for like too long. You said the staging was weird too. Yeah, well, I went with a friend of mine, and and she was like, this was just like watching a like a checklist of of like lesbian sex positions. Mm -hmm. She was like, yep, done that, done that, done that. You know, as she's watching it, she just it took her out of it. But like that one, that's a movie though that when the sex scenes are good, they really do make sense because like there's really only three that need to happen. The first one, uh, the main character is having sex with a guy. It doesn't go well. 
it's like it's off right so you need that as like the impulse and she doesn't realize it's off but like it's just sort of lackluster and then of course the next scene is like her with this uh the blue-haired girl and sort of having this awakening and it's like this fantastic you know wonderful like she is clearly enjoying herself it's like you know this sort of mind-blowing like awakening scene and then the last one being the sort of breakup sex scene okay you know and so like that all made sense except that there's like they all go on a little too long. And then I think there's a couple more in the middle that like, just don't, they're just, so like it's like they gratuitous. shot too many and left too many in. Yeah. Because it was like, it just, it, then it came off as male gazy. It just came off as like, it took you out of the characters. It leers. Which is, right. It leers exactly. Like, like they're these, um, fairly liberated French girls and they're all like fully shaved. Right. You know, there's little things like that where you're like, well, <laughs> who's that for? Hmm. Right. And apparently there's some stories about how like the set was really creepy and I don't yeah. know, but uh, for the movie on, on its own standalone to watch it, I was like, well, it's, and that's a good movie. Actually. I like that movie, but the, it would, if they edited it down and even took out maybe a half hour of like mostly sex scenes, I think it would be a better movie. Hmm. And then another half hour of the dialogue scenes too. They, uh, <laughs> it, was a, it was just too long. Nice it's hour really long, long special. Yeah. After school special. You know, the, I would, I would really appreciate it if the world of film like if we didn't always have to do a sex scene like couched in some fucking horror or some other, you know, yeah, like misery or, or infidelity. Yeah. Like I, I would like just more normal, human, loving, consensual sex in movies, you yeah. know, because they're, they're supposed to be the whole gamut of the human experience. And then there's this one block that instead of just getting it and unadorned and, you know, just sort of as it is. We, we've sort of destroyed this one aspect of the human experience for film where it's it's always got to be either like way pitched way too high or like just terrible. Well, it's the same way with the, you know, bodily functions. We've we've sort of pushed sex, you know, normal consensual sex into the realm of like people taking a shit in a movie or people pissing in a movie or people taking a shower like stuff that like just doesn't fit into like the plot and right. couldn't. So it's just, it's all lumped yeah. into like, oh, you just discard that. Like, that's just, we yeah. don't need that. Which but is you bullshit do. because you, you, they're really, you, there's a lot of storytelling in sex. Yeah, you can't I mean, anybody who's ever read a sport and a, and a pastime can tell you, you know, like, you know, you, you can tell the story in a big way through that. The same way, like an action movie, you can tell the story through the fighting. Right. Have you physicality seen, is important. Have you seen un, An Unmarried Woman? No. Because that actually has some scenes, like just normal sex scenes. You know, she basically is married. Uh, the, the husband leaves her and she's trying to sort of rediscover herself and sort of get back into it. But the the problem with that is that she has this sort of like her her first sexual encounter is with this guy that she has always been hitting on her and she's always sort of rejected. And then she says, like, screw it. Fine, I'll just have sex with this guy. And it's OK. It's like, you know, it's consensual. And he actually ends up being a little like sort of sweeter, like in the bedroom than he is outside. You know, he's more like, you know, a uh, pig headed. But the problem with that movie is that that sex scene gets a pretty like, you know, intense look. And it, it is a good sex scene, except for the, the guy, because then later Alan Bates shows up and then that becomes like the real love scene. But you never get a sex scene with Alan Bates. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. So, it's so it like, feels like unbalanced. Yeah. And it's like and you're meant to root for Alan Bates, you know, yeah. and he he's good in other ways. But like you don't get that same sex scene. And, and at that point where you're like, but you already like gave me this. Give me the, you know, like blue is the warmest color. Give me the better version of it. Yeah. You know, it's but, it's it's like when you're doing like a romance or something to not include that sometimes 
it can feel like, you know, like like the the filmmakers just aren't pushing in to get the actual intimate conversations. Yeah. It's like, you know, like once it's once the talk starts to get intense, the filmmakers just creep out of the room with mm-hmm. a lot right. of that stuff, you know? Yeah. I, I'm sick of too like the impotent sex scene. Like any like unhappy married woman, there's like the scene, like the pathetic sex scene where like yeah. the guy's just on top of her and he's like you know, 50 pounds overweight and he's like banging at her and then like, you know, rolls over. Like I see that so much in like, yeah. in a lot of like indie, like we whatever. We all see it, Cody. We <laughs> you know what Every else? Every day of my of- life. No, <laughs> but it's in a lot of like indie, like, you know, focus films, like kind of shit, you know? Right. Yeah. I'm also sick of that, the fucking HBO sex scene. Oh yeah. You know, the like the por- sex. It's like fake porn. Yeah. It, it's like true detective I think a big part of why I, I did not like True Detective at all was in that first episode when they just break to like give you like a sex scene with a girl like a third Woody Harrelson's age. Mm. And then it never amounts to anything. It never relates to anything. True Detective has my the best juxtaposition of useless sex scene and like purposeful sex scene. <laughs> yeah. And I think I was talking to you guys about this is that that one scene later on in, in True Detective where... There's he's Woody Let, Harrelson's yeah, let's, banging. Let's try and steer away from spoilers, but I know what you're talking about. But you, Woody you can say it without banging spoiling. some some yeah. young girl who then like is on the phone with him afterwards and looking in the mirror and she's naked and she goes, "I really want you to put it in my ass." Like that's the whole yeah, conversation. And then immediately after, you know, two main characters completely necessary sex scene have sex yeah. and it's like and it, there's barely any nudity in it yeah and it's so much more gripping and it cha- really tense changes everything yeah such a good scene and it's like why did it just cut that yeah you didn't out? need the other one game of thrones is like that too they'll have some where they're like really pointed and really good and you like learn a lot about everybody through it and then they'll have some like that one in the first season where it's just um little finger telling his like life story yeah at that's the what they've they've coned the, yeah They've coined a. Uh, they've coned. Yeah, they've coned. No, they've uh, they've coined <laughs> a phrase, sex position, based off of uh, Game sex of Thrones. Sex position. That's and, HBO didn't come up with that. It, no, it's sex an, position. It's an expository scene that's told with sex going oh, on. Oh, like one word, sex yeah. position. Yeah. That's still a pre-existing word. I want to be I know, clear. It's just Game sex of position. <laughs> I thought, but SNL. yeah, they're dead right. Like yeah. that's that's exactly what that shit yeah, was. That's what Game of Thrones is a monopoly on. And right if now. you can't fucking hold anybody's attention in it, like just putting boobs in isn't going to work. This is the post-internet world, right? I get instinctively bored now in Game of Thrones when they cut to the brothel because mm. I'm like, oh great, this right. is just going to be another. Yeah, it's boring. Yeah. Did you see the SNL skit with uh, Andy Samberg? Or they're like the. The number one consulting on the the set of Game of Thrones is a twelve year old boy. No, HBO literally has a dude. <laughs> yeah, who will tell all the shows where to add extra nudity. And really? he's a twelve year old boy. That's like a real thing. <laughs> oh God, that's real. That's why True Detective had all that bullshit. Yeah, they came out and said it. They were like, yeah, they told us to put more boobs in it, so we did it. <laughs> oh, but that's what you want HBO. out of HBO. That's why I get angry when people get angry at Lena Dunham for getting naked. No, that's what you're paying for is to see her tits. And Girls has pot. some really good, really honest nudity in it. Yeah, I, that's I can. That's the most I can give to girls. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not in love with fan, it, but, but that that show it, that's close to I think what like romances or whatever relationship movies for adults should do. I think like just not be afraid to show like yeah, just a sexual encounter with like real bodies. <laughs> yeah, real bodies, and like sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. 
Right. Sometimes it's medium, sometimes this, sometimes that, you know, like the trouble right. with all the 80s ones is that the Top Gun sex scene, they were all in the same room. You know, they were, it was all that satin sheets and the Venetian blinds right. and the blue light. I and thought like, we were talking about the volleyball scene this whole time. <laughs> you know, the arched back and like the the climax at the same time. And it's just like, that's not, not only is that not real life, that's not anything. Yeah. It's, it's not worth anything. Team America is still the best parody of right. those yeah. sex scenes. Yeah. Uh, that what, was necessary. Yeah. Team America was absolutely, absolutely necessary. All right. So the next question is from Alyssa. And she asks, favorite movies with a female lead or mostly female cast? Uh, Miyazaki movies, 100%. Ooh. All the time. That's a good pick. And then after that, <laughs> you got Monica Vitti in most of her Antonioni movies, all of her Antonioni movies. Antonioni, Antonioni, Specifically, I love uh, The Eclipse. That's my favorite one. Uh -huh. And I think that she's fantastic in that movie. And actually, you know, in general, I find that the the best female lead movies are when the it's like the director's wife that is actually intelligent and talented. And I'm thinking like um, Cassavetti's Gloria or like um, Juliet of the Spirits or Annie Hall. She's not a wife, but close enough. Hmm. Because I feel like that's when you get these female characters that are like layered. And, yeah, well, and Jenna Rollins is just she's amazing, insanely she's good. Unreal. Yeah, unreal. I mean that's. You know, once in a hundred years, you're going to get a Jenna Rollins. But I feel like she wouldn't Gina? have. Is it Gina? I thought it's, I think it's pronounced Jenna, but it's spelled really? G-E-N-A. Oh. You should know. Your name is Jenna. I said like J and two N's. <laughs> Where is she from? Why, how, why is that? Oh. This Jenna's, do they spell it with G's too? Do they, I've never heard that before. Yeah. Mm. But I don't think that she would have gotten those roles had it not been for the fact that she had a husband that believed in her and, and made and wrote right. stuff that, that she could get cast in because she also wasn't that young, mm. you know, she, she like, uh, and she's amazing. Yeah. Nobody's going to make Gloria except for the two of them. Right. And it sucks because they absolutely, there should be a bazillion more Gloria. My heart just like stopped for a second when you said it sucks. Cause I was like, Oh my God, Gloria's amazing. <laughs> no, it's amazing. <laughs> it sucks that there like, aren't oh, more no. Gloria's. No. Yeah. Gloria's fantastic. And Juliet of the spirits, the more and more I watch that, it's just such a, that's such a, beautiful layered fantastic film in the same way that gloria is like you you just you love this character and she has and the more you watch it the more there is yeah and the more you discover i'd say i mean the easy place to go is obviously douglas sirk i mean that's just that's some of the best female lead which would you pick imitation of life all that heaven allows which i would go all that heaven one. allows i think i would go imitation of life okay but that's a hard that's sophie's choice yeah, Magnificent Obsession. Yeah. You know. Or even what was the one with Stanwick in black and white where um, she was with the guy who was like a toy manufacturer? Oh, shit. That one was terrific. Nobody ever talks about Forget that it one. Now. Yeah, he did a couple black and whites that nobody yeah. talks about. But uh, also Brief Encounter, one of my favorites. So, so good. That's like one of those movies, I don't want to say a single thing. Just watch Brief Encounter. Like yeah. that's the end of the sentence. <laughs> watch Brief Encounter. That's it. You just watch it. It's great. Some of the best acting while voiceover is going on that I've ever seen in my entire life. Like There's always tomorrow. There's always the thing. I love this is going to be my new thing. I'm just going to barrel in <laughs> the 20 minutes see, late like yeah. Kramer. Once you see it on the phone, just yell it. <laughs> um, yeah, brief encounter. Uh, also, uh, Rosetta, the uh, Dardenne Brothers film. Oh, I never saw that. That's a real good one. 15-year-old girl. It was kind of like a prototype, like 
I don't want to say prototype. That's kind of an insult for it. It was kind of a, um, like a, all right, I'll say it. Fish tank kind of ripped it off. <laughs> really? I love fish tank, but without Rosetta, I don't think fish tank would have been half what it is. Fish tank, one of the great four, three movies of the modern oh, era. Oh, so good. Great, great movie. Fish tank, another tremendous female lead movie. I would say last days of disco. One of my absolute favorite films, my favorite Whit Stillman film. And it's a shame because like damsels in distress, horrible and mostly female lead. You know, that was that was a bad one in his career. Stay away from that one. But Last Days of Disco, incredible. I'll give you a triple feature. The women, three women and seven women. <laughs> Just sit down, watch all three of those. I haven't seen the remake of the, the women of the, the, the women, the, the women. <laughs> but the, I've seen the original from 39. But George Kikor, and that one's great. That That's the one where it's famously like. 140 speaking roles and every one of them is a woman. Yeah. Tremendous little movie. Um, I guess not little, as long as shit. It's like two and a half hours almost. But the the bitch about the women is Teresa Harris, who everybody knows Teresa Harris was my girl. Mm. She's in it for like maybe 20 seconds, but mm. she's in the first minute. So Teresa Harris just annihilates the rest of the movie for me. Yeah. There's just this like one glimpse of Teresa Harris and she has like two lines and that's the best part of the movie for me. And then it's 130 minutes <laughs> past that. I'm just imagining you in the theater, just throwing your hands up and like leaving. Like, at, yeah, like, you some, sit there and be like, come on, where's Teresa? Some She's the best it. one. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like every great actress in the world comes into that movie at some point. And the whole time I'm just thinking of Teresa Harris. She was that good. But yeah, the women is really good. That's uh. So that in, one's really necessarily in that order, good. though, the women, three women and then seven. Well, that's, you know, numerically. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, it works. Three women was uh, that that's Jenna. That's didn't you tell me once that was one of your favorite Holtman's? I, yeah, I'm. it's a weird one, but it reminded me of Maholland Drive. It was like a prototype for Maholland Drive. Yeah, I except thought. I think it's much better. I think it's better, too. But it's that's just like uh, I mean, definitely all female cast. It's interesting. It's I think it's worth watching. I don't know that it's my favorite favorite but i remember you saying i can't remember what it was but it was i distinctly remember you saying three women is my blank altman and now i can't remember what the word was oh, really this is a mad lib that'll like haunt me for forever hopefully a fan of the maybe show. it was like no. middle three women is my middle altman i i mean it, i liked it but it was it's just very weird i thought what it would was it be really three women is my most recently watched altman maybe it was that <laughs> might have yeah. been that so I think I've watched more after that. Which one's Seven Women again? Yeah, what's Seven That's Women? That's John Ford's last movie. Um, Ford, his whole career was making movies about men. And then at the end of his life, what was interesting about Ford's movies is there's it always felt like there was this second story going on in them, like about the women. Right. So the men would go off and you would get these little glimpses of, you know, like the women, like in The Searchers, you know, the little bit where she's taking the coat out of the, uh, out of the trunk and like, She's petting the coat and the, just these like, and um, everything with Ma Jode and Grapes of Wrath. There's all these just incredible little moments of women. And they're always like older women in the Ford movies, which you almost don't see in movies at all yeah. anymore. You, he would have these just very small, tender moments with them. So his last movie in 1966 is just about seven women who were stuck in a house together during the Chinese Civil War, during, a, during this like raid during it. And um, it's all the, you know, classic Ford things bouncing off each other. There's some really like prig religious people and then some like really moral, you know, like prostitutes and outsider characters. And you have these, it's, it feels like that dinner table scene in Stagecoach where, you know, you're 
budding, well-meaning, but ultimately worthless orthodoxy against these, you know, like strong outsider characters and mm. seeing what happens. But it, it's, Seven Women is a tremendous movie. It's um, just about everybody who's seen it says it's one of Ford's most underrated movies, which puts it in the running for one of the most underrated movies ever. Right, because there's so many of us. Yeah, he did 144 and, you know, Insane. when he was good, there was nobody, nobody better. When I was a kid, I remember that movie Little Women came out. You remember that? That's like one of, that's a great movie and also probably one of like my top 20 books I've ever read, Little hmm. Women. When that came out, in my like young brain, I thought like that's what porno was because I couldn't conceive of what, like, I didn't really understand what sex was, but I... For some reason in my mind, I was like, oh, that's what porno would be. It would be like, you're just like watching women live their lives. <laughs> like, I, that's what, what I... What? Did you ever see Little Women? No, I never saw it. Yo, it's, it's good. Porn. It's straight it, up It's porn. a good adaptation? <laughs> yeah. I mean, read the book because the book is short and like, Little Women is so fucking good. So that was... And like, I think a lot of men are going to screw themselves out of not reading Little Women. Yeah. Just shut up and read Little Women. It is so fucking good. Yeah. So when I was young, that, like, that was just my like... It was like a voyeuristic thing where like I thought like that's what like voyeurism was and that's what porno was and everything. I'll bet there definitely is a subgenre of porn that's basically exactly that. Just little women. It's just like watching women, you know, like from afar do their Literally tax li- returns. Well, that's rehearsals. <laughs> <laughs> I, I grew up and then made that movie. There you go. Full circle. <laughs> a couple other just and for all female cast, which I think is harder to pick uh, or find even another woman. The Woody Allen movie is a great movie. So good. And there's there's men in it, but not that much. Not really. Probably the most underrated Woody Allen, I'd say. Oh yeah, it's not even like a Woody Allen film. Almost like I mean, you can see him, but like you you wouldn't. It's on another it. level, dude. Yeah, it's really good. And then um, the bitter tears of Petra von Kant. Oh, that's a great one. That has all women. I think that's an interesting movie. It's a weird. That's another weird movie. Fast. Fassbender yeah. did a remake of that movie, The Women, or German TV. I have it on my hard drive. I haven't watched it yet. But the funny thing about it is to get this like very famously like feminist text where there's no men speaking at all. I had to download it off this site called Pornfile, <laughs> and like all the because his movie was called something like The Women of New York. So all the like links on the site for like were for things called like Eighteen and Lost in New York. Oh God! And like First Trip to New York and all these like I just thought it was so funny. Like that was the route I had to take to get this like. <laughs> Seminal feminist text. <laughs> Did you watch it? Maybe it's not what you think. It no, is. I haven't seen it yet. I, I was going to watch it sometimes this, this week because this, when I got the questions, it made me think of it again. That's why I downloaded it. And then the last one I'll shout out is, a, a, I think, also a lesser known Truffaut called, um, it's called uh, Two English Women or like Anne and Muriel. I don't know if either of you have seen that. That no. was a, That's an interesting movie. It's about these two sisters that then, um, you know, and, and it follows them as they grow up and throughout their lives. And they sort of both kind of fall for this one exchange student uh, and then the sort of passing back and forth of this guy and how he sort of changes their lives and et cetera. It was actually pretty interesting. Hmm. You know, it's Truffaut. It feels like a Truffaut movie. It's a little too long. It can be boring. And then I throw Kill Bill in there. Well, Kill Kill Bill, yeah. Kill Bill's good. Kill Bill is good. Kill Bill. What now? (laughs) Little Kill Bill. Little Kill Bill. All right, so Alyssa has another question for us, which is what's the... Earliest movie you can remember watching? Disney. Disney, right? Bambi, Little Mermaid. That's most people, I would say. But then Willow, uh, Legend, and Star Wars. Hmm. 
I remember watching those. Those only VHS tapes my grandma had. My grandma, for some reason, had those. <laughs> that was it. How about you, John? I already talked about this, I think, on the first one. Jurassic right. Park. Right. Let's go back. I did this one already. Yeah, it's a little bit of a rerun question. I guess mine, you know, I guess animation's its own category because it's like, yeah, of course, that's what you watch. You know, you're a little kid. But I also remember watching, like, Tommy Boy, like, really early on, the Chris Farley movie. I just remember seeing Oh, yeah, that. that was on TV constantly. And Wayne's World. Like, a couple of those, like, SNL-turned-film-star movies. I saw really, really early on. So I Married an Axe Murderer used yeah. to be on TV. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. I've Comedy seen Central that movie every day. 50 every day. times. Easily. It's a great movie. It's, yeah, it's a great yeah. movie. It's an underrated Very underrated. As far as his stuff, people just gravitate immediately towards Wayne's World or Austin Powers, but nah, dude. That one might be his best. It sneaks in there and it's yeah. really got a lot going That's on. That's a really strong romantic comedy. Yeah. Very unique. Very well done. You know what it's like? It's like his high anxiety. Yeah. You know, like Mel Brooks puts so much into high anxiety and it works so well just like as a Hitchcock movie. And then it just sort of like slides between these two other movies that were really good. So yep. nobody remembers it. All right. Next question is from Susie. And she asks, most striking movie scene or moment? Just ever? I, I guess. Susie, <laughs> man, you're swinging. Jesus. Yeah, that's a, this is another one where it's like a little too broad because... I feel like any movie that has a, a sort of like a striking scene, that's probably why I liked it. You know, like that's why I like Kubrick. No, I admire this question. I think we got to just climb to the top of the mountain on this one. Yeah. And just pick the ultimate. Yeah. What's the most striking movie scene? Well, what are some hot contenders? There's the guy melting in Indiana Jones. Yeah. There's Sheriff Ali showing up in Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. There's the uh, Brontosaurus or, uh, or the yeah, Brachiosaurus yeah. in Jurassic Park. Yeah. You know, when they roll up, that one, woof, that one does a number on you. There's the, uh, oh, you know what's really up there for me? The chase through the empty reservoir in Terminator 2. That one That's always, a good one. I don't know why, but like every shot of that one always, you know, sticks out. Anything from Jaws? If you had to pick one moment from Jaws? Ooh, Indianapolis monologue. I don't know if that counts as striking, though. How do we yeah. describe... No, shit. You know what it is for Jaws? Fuck. When they're in the lagoon and, you know, like his sons are on the boat and everything and they're playing with the sailboat and there's that fisherman guy who's telling them to get out of the lagoon on the boat next to them. Mm -hmm. And then the shark hits it and knocks it over and he falls in the water. And you get that overhead shot while he's trying to swim back to the boat and you just see the shark like roll underneath him mm. and sweep him down under. That one really, oof. What That's about, a good one. What about Deep Blue Sea when Samuel Jackson gets eaten by the shark? That's striking. No, you know what it would be from Deep Blue Sea? When it scoops the guy out of the helicopter and breaks the glass. With <laughs> that thing, I remember when that movie came out, watching that with my dad and my dad being like, I have never seen anything like that in my life. What about Anaconda? Yo, what about The Protector? Yeah. I just saw the poster behind your head reflected in the mirror. <laughs> when he's running up the stairs in The Protector. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a top contender. Yeah, and he just like busts that whole building up. Mm. All right. But if we had to really do just one. Oof. Just one. I mean. Yeah, it's tough. God I, damn it. I can think of movies that I've I've seen, and this is a little bit strang, I guess, but I can think of movies that I only saw once in the theater that I haven't wanted to see again because I enjoyed that so much. But like, if that, those, I wouldn't pick those as like the ultimate. What about the opening of Kill Bill? 
I don't even remember the opening of Kill Bill. The black and white scene where he shoots her. Oh, that was kind of stupid. I didn't like that. It was a little striking. <laughs> I was stricken. I love that scene in Blue Velvet where he walks into the room and the guy is just like brain damaged and, and like sort of swaying there and twitching. See, I would have picked the one, the closet scene. Oh, well, that, yeah, that was that was striking. That's striking. Well, actually, as the far. ear in the grass. Yeah, is... I would have picked the ear in the grass. Yeah. Or the heart attack. Would... Or the first shot where it just goes <laughs> down no. the fence. Maybe we need to nominate Blue Velvet as no. containing the most striking no. variety of scenes. Not even close for me. No? No, Blue Velvet wouldn't even crack my top like it's 200 got a lot of moments. on this one. No way. I think Paps, what about seven, uh, seven Samurai <laughs> when they're fighting in the rain? I mean, that that's just like the most brutal... And like gorgeous. That's at the very same striking time. imagery. Yeah. Yeah. See, I think striking the guy like imagery. falling off the horse and it just like the horse hooves in the rain. Oh, what about the last shot of Ron when they're standing on that cliff with the sunset and the paper with like the Buddhist thing just like flutters off the edge of the cliff? This is an impossible question. Yeah, because striking imagery and striking nope, moments I got are it. different. It's done. I got it. Yeah. The opening and closing shots of the searchers. Her walking out and opening the door and the camera pulling through and you're just seeing Monument Valley and then everybody walking in and John Wayne staying outside and them just closing the door behind him. That turn from pitch black into Monument Valley and back. You think that's worth striking then, the protector? Absolutely. Have you seen The Searchers? No. What about Don't that? fucking talk to me, man. <laughs> the yeah, the first and last <laughs> shot, which I take as one because they're pretty, they're, they're like a bookend. They're the same shot. The searchers. That's that's my pick. I'm picking the protector. Jenny, you have a pick. What about in 2001, <laughs> where he wakes up? <laughs> you mean the end? Yeah, the end. That's striking. That was a striking one. Well, what about the whole like the monkeys? The colorful like he's going through the thingy thing. That's like the least striking part for me. I was stricken. What really <laughs> struck me in that one was um, the landing on the moon when everything's just turning. Yeah. And they're playing the guy in Adagio and you just see like the the hatch open and the moon base and it lands and then the, the sound hits you just the way the sound hits you late. Mm. Yeah. That's a good one. I feel like it'd have to be a Kubrick. I think it's got to be a John Ford. Hitchcock's got some contenders. Yeah, that's... Yeah, what about Hitchcock. the fucking Psycho kill? <laughs> the Psycho. Oh, yeah, you know what? Fuck it. Yeah, Psycho. That's a, that's as good a pick as any, yeah. Because you know what? It's just that's like iconic. That's like when you want to talk about something that like perfect was terrifying. It's always like immediately the idea of, of her getting killed in the shower. Yeah. Plus, I always move my shower curtain when I go uh. into the bathroom just in case someone's standing there. <laughs> so that's actually has an impact on my day to day life. Well, you so, have okay, a, don't you have soul. a roommate? So it could just be your roommate <laughs> taking the shower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I killed him. You know, like, and now it's just his ghost. All right. I'm going to go for that. All okay. right. And we have one last question, and that is also from Susie. If you could live as any movie character in the uh, movie world of that movie, what would it be? I feel like you can only pick something either really practical or like... Super crazy. Super ridiculous. <laughs> Except that I think I actually would go for like any musical. Like, I really want to live in a world. You wouldn't get sick of that after a day? No, I want to sing all of my <laughs> thoughts and opinions. I want everyone on the street to stop, pause, pay so much attention to what I have to say that they have to go into a choreographed dance. Exhausted you would be <laughs> just going to buy bread. I would be in great shape. By the time you got home, you'd have to nap until dinner time. And that would be its own song. <laughs> I feel like any movie, like musical person... 
Like it, it's what we don't see is just nap after nap after nap and lots of coffee. But that's why they don't have to work. Or yeah. like when they go to work, it's just like the song to go to work. And then when they get there, they don't do anything. You mm. got to be careful. It's a musical with a good book, though. Because if you get stuck with like 1776 <laughs> and you just listen to like <laughs> shitty songs all day. No, I'm thinking like Gene Kelly or like Guys and Dolls. Or yeah, like, get yourself a Gershwin. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or something that's at least visually striking. Well, you know, yeah, like, you want to pick or something like an Elvis beautiful. movie. Fuck it. I spent this much time invested in Elvis movies. I'll live in it. Are they fun, you think? Some of them are. Yeah. All right. Or the practical choice, I think, would be Star Wars. That would be practical in the middle of Star War? <laughs> An actual Yeah, war? I would live in Star Peace. <laughs> There's so many planets you can escape that war. The war's happening in space. I don't got to go there. You're just going to hang out with the uh I'm going to hang Ewoks? out in the cantina. Oh, yeah, you could just chill in the cantina. Or the Ewoks. Star Trek wouldn't be bad. Star Trek would be But you'd great. have to be old Star Trek, because I couldn't hang out with fucking Picard and them all day. I wouldn't want like all the lens flares in my eyes constantly. I wouldn't want to be in, you know, like the you sanctimonious. Have to wear sunglasses. Right. I wouldn't want to be in like the sanctimonious beige room <laughs> right. with the negotiating guys. <laughs> I, I remember thinking that a lot when I was a kid, like when I would watch Star Trek and I'd be like, yeah, I could live on the Enterprise. And then I would see Next Generation because it was like new at the time. And I was like, this is like, can you imagine this? This is, this is like going to school all day. <laughs> because it's just, they had that very, they had that like terrible bar that they would go to. And it was just like a dark, quiet room. And everything in that ship was just dark and quiet. And everybody was kind of like on edge all the time. Yeah. Mm. And it just looked like the type of place where the AC was just like a little too high <laughs> all the time. Well, they are wearing long sleeves and pants, so. Yeah. Also, you'd have to wear a onesie all day. All day. Without pockets. Be? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to choose a Miyazaki anything. I oh, just want to live in a Miyazaki world. Yeah. Because it's very green. And you can ride your bike to things and like, <laughs> I don't know, I, little cottages and it's always sunny and nice. And yeah, when it's raining, animals. it's beautiful. Yeah. And you talk to something that shouldn't exist on your way. And, you know, you go home and have like some onigiri, you know, little rice triangles. And that's your day. Yeah, that's actually pretty sweet. Specifically, I would pick um, this one that I don't, I think it was like a Takahata one called uh, Panda Go Panda. That's the one that I would pick specifically. Because you get to hang out with giant pandas that wear hats. And you what, just... What did Miyazaki do? Who is this? Princess Mononoke, My Neighbor Totoro. Yeah, all this. Oh, Christ. <laughs> I saw the one with the fat thing. Totoro. The little, yeah, the girl who hung out with the big fat gentleman. You haven't seen <laughs> Princess Mononoke? No. You have to see it. No. It's nothing like no. Totoro. You no. love it. No. It's this, this ship sailed. I've tried so many fucking animes and so many people's like, oh, this will be the one you like. I tried to get him to watch Cowboy work. Bebop and it didn't work on him. Miyazaki no. isn't even anime, though. It didn't take. He's like, the only one Disney. I like is this, this one. I don't know who did it, but it's just about like an old alligator and it's all <laughs> painted red and it's just on like a beige background and everything else is black and it's just a red alligator. That one I liked. I don't know who did it. I forgot. That I think it was good. called The Old Alligator. <laughs> <laughs> I got to see that. So yeah, you're immune to Miyazaki. It just, yeah, it just doesn't work on me. I don't know why, but something about that style, I just like physically don't like looking at it. Mm. But it's like the film stock thing again. But Totoro is so different. It's so different from everything. Totoro is like probably his simplest, most childlike movie. And then everything else is only for adults and, and so beautifully animated. I really don't want to see them, if I'm Ugh. being honest. Ugh. I just really, any time I've gone down that rabbit hole of this will be the anime you like, it just doesn't work. 
I tried Cowboy fucking Bebop on this kid. The movie? Terrible. No, the show. He couldn't do it. Terrible. Couldn't do it. But it's but even Mike Mizaki is even better than Cowboy. I love Cowboy Bebop, but it's better than that. Right. I can't. I but can't I feel like if he it. was going to get into something, it would probably be Bebop. Yeah, that thing made like, my skin crawl. It felt like just watching somebody else try on like a trench coat for like an hour and a half. I would love if in like a couple years he suddenly like, you know what? I finally found an anime that I love. It might happen. Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> He's like, I love Dragon Ball Z. Exactly I mean, it happened to me with musicals. I hated musicals for so long, except for, you know, like one or two. Mm-hmm. And now I've kind of come around on them. What was the, the right musical that changed along. your mind? I can't remember now. It was a Gershwin, though. It wasn't Meet Me in St. Louis, but it was like from the same time. But it was it was good. Like, I, I, I like them when they have good music. The trouble is, I think what killed me for them was all the 50s one that had those terrible, like, really chintzy 50s soundtracks where it's all like really high instruments and it's just like piercing. Yeah. I think yeah, well, those ones music, put me off for a long time. It makes it, definitely. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't rain. remember what Singing it was. Singing in the Rain is so good. Singing in the Rain is great. Is I mean, I love West Side Story. I think West Side Story is a fucking masterpiece. Nice. That's probably my favorite of all of <laughs> them. So John's going to live in West Side Story. You could do in West Side Story. I mean, my family basically grew up in West Side Story. <laughs> yeah. It's not a far leap for me in any way. It wouldn't be like one of those time travel movies where you kind of have to like hide out or whatever. They'd just be like, yeah, okay. I think I know your dad or something. <laughs> yeah, they'd be like, all right. They're like, yeah, that, yeah, that kid. <laughs> it's not right. a leap. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we will be back with a voicemail. See you soon. Hello, Smug Film fans. Did you know that Smug Film now has a voice mailbox? Just call the following phone number. 718395 and leave a question or a comment about the show along with your name, and we may play it on a future episode. Thank you for listening, and now, back to the show. And now... Chloe Peltier, reviewing a movie she's seen parts of while working at the theater. Man, Minions is so cut and dry. I've never been able to assess a movie after just one round of working it before. In fact, even the ones that I've seen a bunch of times, I can't even really tell how I feel about them because I um, I kind of like to see all sides of it, I guess. But this one, it's really short. Basically what it comes down to is the first half of it is actually really captivating and actually really cute and funny, which I didn't expect at all because like the trailer looked like really lame to me. It looked like one of those kids movies that just draws people in and isn't really actually good. But um, no, the first half is really clever and really um, like the visual style of it is really solid. And the second half of it, Though, once they meet Scarlet, uh, the villain lady, it all just kind of gets boring and predictable from there. That's about when it becomes the piece of shit I thought the trailer made it out to be. So, it's kind of lame. It's almost like two movies in one. I don't know. I would almost like go see it just to see the first part. And then, just like, I mean, watch the rest if you want, but whatever. I checked out after that. Thanks, Chloe. And now, back to the show. And we're back. Let's see who called. Hello, this is James from Nampa, Idaho. Uh, Big fan of the show. I decided to take you up on your challenge to call a voicemail from last episode. Um, 
what I wanted to call about was the episode on uh, underrated film scores when you guys played the Mordor, um, I guess the theme song from American Gigolo. Um, I thought, man, this sounds really familiar. And then I realized it's Call Me by Blondie. And looking up on Wikipedia, it turns out that uh, Debbie Harry was um, the second choice of Giorgio Mortimer. I'm probably pronouncing that terribly. Um, but his original choice for a collaborator on that song was Stevie Nicks from Fleetwood Mac. So that would have been interesting. Anyway, keep up the good work on the podcast. Also, just wanted to say that, yes, see New Hercules with um, Bye. The Rock in it Bye. is excellent. Anyway, uh, thanks, guys. Keep up the show. See you later. Yay, everybody loves the New Hercules, except for John D'Amico. I feel like I'm getting gaslighted on that uh, one. <laughs> yeah, you really didn't like it. I mean, I didn't hate it, hate it. You know, I'm not... I have to say it. It's just like it surprised me that people <laughs> liked it, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So what he said was uh, basically, yeah, Marauder produced Blondie stuff. He he did Call Me, and it's a similar melody to the, the instrumental that I played, the uh, opening uh, American Gigolo song. Was he that the actual song turn up in the movie? Yeah, I think it might. Yeah. he He's great because, like, that whole movie feels like one song, essentially. Yeah, like, yeah. that whole soundtrack, it's. It's a lot of similar stuff, and it just all goes together. He he had his uh, hand he had a hand in so much '80s stuff and so much like late '70s stuff that like you know he he basically invented like that like four to the floor kind of like techno like pulse that like changed and 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 made '80s music '80s music. You know, I wish it was Stevie Nicks so badly though. Yeah, that that's, said that. A, that's a really good uh, little trivia bit. Thank you, James. Yeah. I have an aunt in Idaho. Should hang out with her. Yeah. Give her Stevie Nicks facts. Hell yeah. God, that that would have been so good with Stevie. I can't stop thinking about <laughs> it now. Because like, like Debbie Harry is really good, but Stevie Nicks, that voice is. Yeah, and it would be a little different, and you know, maybe a little it, slower. Yeah. Like probably a little more like ethereal. Yeah. Like Debbie Harry was really aggressive in that movie, but with Stevie Nicks, he probably would have played up that like dreamy vibe a yeah. little more. Because that movie did bit. have like a very like still dreamy kind of thing. Mm. Would have been kind of interesting to see that version of the score. Sounded like a lot of people in the background on that call. That was a summit meeting. Yeah, man. I thought I heard a bird. There was a bird, wasn't there? Like a caged bird. Yeah, there was like a kid or something, I think. And a child. Yo, call back in and tell us about your bird. Yeah, tell (laughs) us about the kid, too, or whatever. Which one's in the cage? Whatever you got there. Give us a little theater of the mind. Yeah. I want to know where he's calling from and like the vibe of it. Yeah, give give us... Like an age sex location, kind of. Yeah. Well, yeah, just paint a scene for us. Give us the rundown. I want to know what kind of bird it is. Is it a parrot? Is it a cockatiel? You know, like there's yeah. a lot of... Let's see that bird. Let's have this be an ongoing thing with James. Hopefully he'll participate. <laughs> yeah, James, give us a call. Give us some... Describe your bird, James. Describe your bird. <laughs> you got other James. pets? I want to hear about the other pets, too. Yeah, man. Just like update us about your life. Be like, just like, hey, guys, went just went to the store, got some groceries, Feeding the bird now. You're like, when you want to look important, James, just call us, you know, yeah. and be like, no, no, I, I got to take this call and be like, hey, guys. <laughs> yeah, we can be like you're like getting out of like a conversation thing <laughs> or whatever. Oh, I would love just like a one sided conversation voicemail. That mm-hmm. would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm um, buy and sell them. Buy them. Yeah. Buy them just for like an hour. <laughs> I think we got time for another one. We could do another one, right? Let's do it. Let's do it.
Thanks for the Stevie Nicks facts. That was actually super interesting. Yeah, man. I'm like now that that would feel like a very different movie. It's a lot to think about, James. Don't listen to Tusk later. All right, here's another voicemail. Oh, joy, the potty posted. It's almost like a holiday. I bet Harry Brewers will hear it. Harry Potter. I think that's Chloe. <laughs> Is that James? No, Is that you, that, James? I think that was Chloe. I think that was Chloe. Let James? me play that again. Oh, joy, the potty posted. It's almost like a holiday. I bet Harry Brewers will hear it. Harry Potter. Yeah, where is Harry Burris? Was that James's bird, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> Could be. I really hope it was. Chloe should play James's bird in the in the James story. In the James <laughs> film biopic. James from Idaho. James from Idaho. I like it. Yeah, so she's just, you know, ribbing Harry Burris, who hasn't been on the show a while. Yeah, where's Harry at? We gotta get him on. He's a good boy. <laughs> he's a blonde a chap. A young boy. <laughs> yeah. I can't pronounce where he's from, like that town. That's he's like, from Wales, right? Well, it's one of those like it, it, like the the name of it just goes on and on, and it's like if you played it in Scrabble, you'd win not just that game but every other game, like ever. <laughs> like it would stretch on to like other boards that people are playing, like miles down the road. Like the word would it would just be this giant snake word that just never ends, and it, so, would, it would take all is the that pieces. The name of his town, miles down the road. That'd be such a sweet. <laughs> No, like it's old timey town name. They're, they're all those Welcome like, to Miles Down the Road. <laughs> it have like a wooden sign with like bullet holes in it. Oh, yeah. Do you know about Truth or Consequence, New Mexico? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a movie. I wrote a it's play. A, they named a movie after it. It's a real place. Yeah. I wrote a play when I was in college called Desolation, Arizona, about a town named Desolation, Arizona. Does that, is that real? No, I made it up. Aww. Don't tell anybody. There should be a town called Raising in Arizona. <laughs> That'd be cool. Like a little tribute. I Raising like Arizona is a really great. That's like a perfect cartoony movie. Wasn't there yeah, like a whole like spat of like '90s movies where it was like a plucky title of a town where like happy like Idaho and uh, like uh, fuck. There's like a bunch. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know about. what you're talking about. Now there was one that yeah. was like the Shakespeare adaptation. It was, oh, it was right. um, Macbeth, and I can't remember the name of it now. But there was a bunch like Twin Falls, Idaho, and there's a whole bunch. It was a thing. I swear to you, Jenna. (laughs) I mean, Fargo. Yeah. That's a place. But there was like, it was always like, like some plucky word, comma, place. Fargo's a plucky word. But it's not. You know, like go far. Do you get it? Do you even get it? Actually, I didn't up until now. (laughs) That's pretty fucking good. I did not get that. Wow. What was the, what was the Shakespeare one? God, it was, um. Is it something PA? Yes. Yeah. Scotland, PA? Yeah, yeah. I think so. I should have waited 15 minutes to purse. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was a thing. That happened. That's like when Paris, Texas? Pa- exactly. Yeah. See, this is what I'm talking about. It was a thing. <laughs> it happened, and now it doesn't happen anymore. Then there's that John Prine song about um, Rome, Georgia, Athens, Texas, and Paris, Tennessee. Mm. We're not the jet set. We're the old Chevrolet set. <laughs> it's a great song. There's a place in Maine called China. China, Maine? China, Maine. Wasn't there like a China? No, that's There's a, a famous road sign that has like China, five miles, like yeah. Singapore, but it's all like in Maine. <laughs> Isn't there like some weird thing with like, because uh, like Louisiana's LA and there's a place in Louisiana that has some like thing that you would think is Cal... Fuck, what is it? Sacramento. Is it? I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's some, it's some California thing, but it's California comma LA because it's in Louisiana, but you would think that it's... Like your brain thinks it's in California because you see the L.A. thing. 
There's so, a lot of Manhattan. It might be even just be like Hollywood or something. I forget what it is. There's a Manhattan, Kansas, and a Manhattan like Montana or something. This is riveting. Just saying. <laughs> this is the worst episode probably of all time. <laughs> all right, we're gonna wrap it up here, folks. Any final words, any all for the uh, audience? No, I think we got to get out of this uh, yeah, plane we, crash as yeah. soon as we can. Just hit the just ejector a, seats. Just a bad segment. <laughs> <laughs> any any final words, Jenna? I want James to call back, but otherwise... Yeah, James, call us back. Call us like once a week. Just yeah, James, I want to know. Let know how you're doing, how the bird's doing, what you're feeding it. What do you feed a bird like that? We don't even know what kind you of bird it is. You got suet? What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing, James? What kind of newspapers you... Uh... James, let us know, buddy. Yeah. Hey. You got oh. a seatbelt? What do you... All right, that James. would love a seatbelt. This, uh, this episode's dedicated to James, and hopefully he'll come back. All right. See ya. Bye.